Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Monica. All right, everybody. Come on in. On in. People are evenly dispersed all the way to the back. It's fine. Um, good morning. My name's Ryan. Uh, I have the privilege and honor of being the teaching pastor here in this community. If you're new, you may have seen, well, you've seen me for a few weeks in a row, but that is unusual because we have a teaching team and um, we really honor in the same way that we pray for other kingdom bringing communities. We know that everybody learns a differently. Everybody hears from the Spirit in very unique and powerful ways. And so having an actual teaching team is a value of ours. We believe that no one person, um, we don't want our community to have any sort of Pope figures, right? Like there's no one person who is the voice. As a community, we all speak into that. And I think that that is something that we try to encourage that if the Spirit is opening up something for you, please bring it. Tell us. Write emails. Tell us what the Spirit is saying to you. Because as we try to discern what the Spirit is up to in our community and what that might show us he's up to in our town, is it a town? I get in trouble all the time because I grew up in a city. Sorry. I grew up in a small town, and so I call everything a town, and they're like, it's not a town. Okay. So um, we are spending some time today continuing talking about the uh, resurrection. And the reason that I like to spend more time on it than just one day is because Jesus actually spent about a month spending time with the people he was closest to after he Rose. And we don't spend a lot of time talking about it because, truthfully, there's just not a lot of text there. But I had always wished, and I, I wish so badly, that there was more writing about what happened in that time. Because I think it would help us to understand what resurrected life looks like practically. How do we actually live it out? What does it mean to be in a resurrected body? I also wish there was more writing about what Jesus was like as a teenager. I wish that there was a lot more information for me now. I could really use some examples of what it means to be a, a Jesus-like teenager um, as I'm at home scratching my head all the time. And so um, today we will enter into the pattern that is our heritage, and that is reflecting on the mystery that is resurrection. It's a mystery. There's things that we, I don't know how Jesus just appeared in rooms. It says it happened. And so I go, okay, it happened. But the mystery is something that we're meant to reflect on, wrestle with, ask questions about. And so today um, we are going to be looking at um, one of the teachings that Jesus 
gave, and it's been well understood. And if you were a Christ follower any time during the 80s or 90s, um, this verse played itself out in ways that I think we need to examine. And so it comes from Matthew chapter 28. And I spent um, all week, and I enrolled Lexi and Sierra in helping me memorize it. And so as a family, we've sort of been reciting this text, and it's from Matthew 28. And it says, when the, uh, And then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, In Awanas, if any of you know, I would have gotten a crown or a little pin that said, good job, Ryan, you memorized the Bible verse. So I'm just going to tuck that away as I'm really proud of myself, okay? So thank you, thank you. Um, Today we are going to be doing some work, and I'm going to be coming over here because I was talking to Greg and Abraham, and I tried last week to go podium free because I want to see how it feels, how it actually connects with people differently to not have something between the person teaching and the people being taught. And so for me, there's a whole purpose behind it, but I was so uncomfortable that I was like, I'm not going without a podium. And Abraham said, baby steps, like just one thing at a time, maybe move it a little further away each week. And so I'm going to be constantly coming back to here because without notes, I am a hot mess. And so uh, today we are going to be doing some work. So today is going to be meaty, and as a text that is meaty, I'm going to be asking all of you, you will need to cut your food, okay? Like, you're going to need to do some work to get into what we are talking about here. So before we start, though, let's pray. Lord, open our eyes. Show us your text. Speak to our hearts. All of the ways that maybe we have heard and always understood things. Um, Maybe it's true, and that's right, and that is good. And maybe there's some things that we need to be trained into. And when we assume that we already know, it becomes impossible to teach. And so, Lord, would you help us to hold even the things that we have been taught one way forever loosely enough that you could speak into it, and you could reorder it, and you could teach us and train us. Help us to have humble hearts always. Help us to never reach a point in our faith where we, are, where we are done learning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So, um, how many of you have uh, ever snowboarded in here? Snowboarders. Okay. Keep your hands up. How many of you um, learned as an adult? Okay, so we have one. It was kind of tough, right? Super tough. Super tough? 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 Was it not tough for anyone? If so, just don't say anything because you're going to ruin my example. So when I was growing up 
they would take kids by a bus up to the a mountain, and we would have these snow days where it was P.E. was, there were some afternoons where it was just like, oh, the whole school is just going to spend the whole day up on the mountain, and that's what we did. And it was great, and you could get onto Mammoth Mountain for a dollar. They asked the kids to bring a dollar. So it was fantastic. I hung out with the skater crowd, and we took that as the, the school is going to be practically empty. We're not going to have to learn anything. We can screw around all day. And it was kind of expensive, and so I didn't um, do that a lot. And I tried to learn a little bit later in life, and I found out that falling onto snow um, when you're 6'3 is a lot different than falling onto snow when you're like three and a half feet tall. I see these kids that don't look like they can tie their own shoes in their snowboarding, and I'm like, this is so embarrassing, because I'm on the same a bunny hill is them, and I'm like panicking, like, please don't fall, I don't want to get injured. But I, I, and I don't want to point it out as though I'm this like active, like extreme sports guy, because I'm telling you, if I fell from this step to this one wrong, my week could be messed up. Like, and Sierra, we had this time where we were hanging out at a friend's house, and I was like, where did she go? And then I remembered, they have stairs. And this is when she was much smaller. And then I had that parenting panic moment where I'm like, I know exactly what's happening right now. She's climbing up the stairs. And I ran around the corner just in time to see, falls down the stairs and then just, just pops back up. Kids are like Wolverine. They just recover immediately. And as an adult, you're like, I can't step wrong, or I could break something, or I could, it's, it's those kinds of things. Gabby knows. <laughs> I was not thinking of you when I came up with this, I promise. Um, and I was reading an article from ELA Medical this week. I was like, why is it so much harder to learn to walk again? Because people say that having to learn how to walk again after they are injured sometimes, the physical and emotional strain is so much that they just won't. It says, walking is basically a series of tiny controlled falls. I never thought about it that way, right? Like, that's why it's hard to learn, is you're actually leaning forward and you're falling, but it's tiny controlled. And you have to learn how to do that. And as a kid, a tiny controlled fall is much easier when you learn how to do it from the time you're small. Not only does each one require a complex combination of strength, balance, and coordination to complete successfully, there's also the added challenge of stringing a series of steps together into a smooth and efficient gait. So there's this process that becomes harder to actually relearn than it is to actually learn. And I think when we're talking about Matthew chapter 28, and we're looking at what does it mean to make disciples? What does it mean to be called? What does it mean to baptize? What does it mean to teach everybody to obey all that he's commanded? When that has been packaged as a mass conversion, just get people into a stadium and get people to raise their hands. And I'm not disparaging those events out 
right? Because I think that they, they have their place. But what often happens is those people leave that and they are left with this huge a gap of what now? Who's meant to hold me? Who, who's actually going to grab my hand and lead me into what this is supposed to look like? And I think that that comes because we don't understand what Jewish rabbi disciple making looked like really. And so I want to talk about that. And so some of us, it will be so hard to unhear, just go to a street corner, hold up a sign, tell people about Christ, and you've completed your great commission. Because the reality is, I think Tim Gombas is correct. He said, if we understood what the great commission was actually calling us to, making a convert would be our worst nightmare. And I want to explain that because that sounds very strange, but I, I promise we will get there. So we have some introductory questions, like what is Jesus calling them to? Who was he saying it for? What has it become, and what have we lost out by seeing it the way that we've always had it packaged? So we talked a little bit last week about the beauty that some doubted. It says that the... uh, Eleven went to Galilee, and we talked, we talked on Easter that that was about a six-day walk where they had to relive all of these, these, the last three years of their life. How amazing and beautiful and strategic it is of, of Jesus to say, before we talk about this, I want you to relive these moments to remember the times that I was with you. So he calls them to do this epic field trip up to a Galilee, and it says to the mountain where he had told them to go. And when they saw him, some, uh, they worshiped him, but some doubted, right? That even with their doubt, they made the trek. I think that's important for us to hear. You can bring your doubts with you. And I often heard it as a kid, leave your problems at the door, leave your doubts at the door, and I heard it enough that I started to do that. And I think we've heard it enough that we start to do that. When people ask us, how are you, do we even have a concept of how to answer that honest, honestly? Do we really do that? Do we make room to hear other people's honest answers? Is the church a space where we pretend a lot? Is it a place where you pretend? Is it a place where you've seen, like, I'm not connecting with anybody because I actually don't know who anyone truly is. And so he says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Also, I'm going to be going through the slides, and I have one text at a time. Let's go to the... Next one. Really interesting that even though some doubted, Jesus did not take time to sort out who it was before he said these following words. It says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? Jesus. Not disciples. All authority in heaven on earth on earth has been given to 
Jesus. So if we want to speak from a place of authority, if we want to um, speak from the platform of saying, this is what Christ is all about, you had better be plugged into who he is. Because we don't have authority on our own other than how closely we are aligned to who he is. If you're not plugged into who Christ is, you don't have authority, neither do I. Which is why it says, let not many of you become teachers. Because it says when you speak and you hold his name and you call something as authoritative by his voice and you're not plugged into who he is, Scripture actually calls that taking his name in vain. It's not just saying a curse word. It's, it's using the authority of his name to things that he has no part in. Plug yourself into who he is long before you speak on his behalf. That's really important. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus. Therefore, go. This is cheesy, but I have to say, anytime in the Bible you see a therefore, ask what's it there for? It's a good method of saying, like, why is that there? <laughs> right? Go. And I think that this is the word that has messed us up. Go. We've often heard it used. I mean, there's been entire campaigns called Go. And it's missions. It's your community. It's your neighborhood. It's go somewhere else. Like, give everything up that you have and go. Right? That's how I've heard it. But this word is actually a participle. It's as you are going. So it's a participle. So as you are going, make disciples of all nations. And I love that this reiterates the theme from Matthew, that he's drawing all nations in. This is a broad invitation. And believe me, they were wrestling still. There were some who doubted, right? The presence of Christ does not inherently mean that you will buy into everything he's up to. Right? Am I alone? Hello? Room? Thank you. Therefore, as you are going, make disciples. So, the Jewish rabbi disciple-making process was not raise your hands, say a prayer at all. That was not even in their framework, okay? It was come live in my house. Eat food with me. Work alongside me. Learn to do everything I do. And so if we thought and if we understood that in the concept that they had where it makes a lot more sense when Jesus was calling his disciples, what he said, follow me. Not in your like imaginations like, yeah, Jesus, I'm following you. Go get him. It's no, come live with me. Learn to be my disciples. 
disciples. I am your rabbi, and I'm going to teach you how to do everything that I do to multiply, and so that at some point you would go have disciples of your own, that you would be discipled so that you could disciple others. But it was a call to say, which is why it works in small groups only. That's why it can only happen in bite-sized ways, because I'm telling you, if you fill up Angel's Stadium and say, raise your hand, and we're going to win people to the Lord, if we understood what he was actually talking about, it said, okay, all those people that raise their hand, are you prepared to say, come follow me, live with me, be my best friend for the next 10 to 15 years of my life? You have a responsibility to the people that you convert. And we haven't talked about it because we've been so growth Mine's are the American culture of numbers and growth and make things huge. That works for a business. It works for an Instagram. But it doesn't work to make disciples. So he says, go therefore and make disciples as you are going. And it also opens up that in your vocation, whatever you do, whatever it is, you can make this disciples. What I'm up here up to, people on a mission out in the world elsewhere, it's saying wherever you are, you can find people to loop in, make a group that says, who can I lead? What can I offer people? How can I actually invite people into live into this kind of life? Which And it, that would go in well with the teaching that says there are some apostles, some prophets, some teachers, that we are a, a body, and it talks about, what if the hand says to the foot or something like that, that I'm not that thing. Where you are and what you bring and what you are talented in and what your passions are, are needed, and you can make disciples from within that place. Uh, Jeff Bezos has a, he calls it a, a two-pizza rule for teams. He said, if you can't have a team a meeting where people can be fed by two pizzas, the group is too big. And I think that's really interesting. I think that maybe he got that from the way that things are designed. That when you keep things smaller... I'm not sure if any of you have ever been really plugged into a small group of people over a long period of time. But the depth at which they can call you out, the depth at which they can encourage you, the depth at which things can actually transform in the deepest parts of your heart are only possible with that small, committed group, which is why Sundays are great, and if every seat was full, I would be stoked, and I'd be happy, but I would be saying discipleship doesn't happen on Sundays from 9 to 10 30. If you're expecting to come to church and get disciple from an hour a week, 
We've just not understood what the text is calling us to. It's saying, come, follow me, walk with me, live with me, learn how to do everything I do. What does it tell us that we have formatted both our method and our goal to just get more abuts in the seats, more numbers? What does that tell us? What do we as a church, LBCF, what do we as God's people have to repent from that we have sold people so short on what this calling actually is and how beautiful and full and challenging it actually is. If it was just about saying a prayer, oh my gosh, that would be fantastic. It would be easy. But we know that if it was just about that, that there would never have been a text that says, count your costs, because this will cost you. There would be no cost counting if it was just about having people intellectually agree on a set of ideas. But Christ is not saying intellectually agree. He's saying, follow me. And then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting here that he places himself between two concepts that they would have understood, the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he says, I'm a part of that. So he is affirming his divine placement by putting himself into that three part. And also the idea of baptism also is not something that only happens once. It is a pattern of saying, I am putting my old self to a death, and I'm taking on a new life. So every single day, we enter our baptism again, saying, I have brought old life with me to this day also, and I need to lay it down to be raised up into new life as well teaching them to obey all I have commanded you, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I would be, and I think that that for me is one of the pieces where even if all of this sounds too kind of up in, up in the, my head, I would say, how much do we actually understand what he commanded us? I think one of the first things a Christian person needs to do is have a working knowledge of Jesus Christ. I think that we need to read the Gospels all the time as a pattern. Because if we say that we are trying to be discipled by who he is, and you're not actually uprooting your life and your family's life to go be disciple in somebody else's home, if you're not doing that, then I think you have it, it, it is actually incumbent on us to say, I want to be discipled into every mannerism, every teaching, every way of articulating my life, every hope, every grief, the way that Christ did, which means throughout your after noons are is there a rolodex playing of like this feels like when christ encountered this this feels very similar to me because of 
are this. This person feels like it's, they're being treated like when that person was being treated that way, and Christ responded like this. Are, are we familiar enough to obey everything he commanded? And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. One of the beautiful closings, he says, I'm with you, but also this is much larger than you. I'm with you, and it is about you saying, yes, and I am calling you, but I'm with you to the end of the age. I'm with you. I'm hoping that you will, that you will help this conversation move into a more beautiful place because it's continuing after us. We are a part of something that was long before us. We are enjoying fruits of people who labored and tilled the soil for years that we don't even know about. That there is fruit that we are getting to taste because of the faithfulness of people before us. And so it shouldn't surprise us that your faithfulness now will be for other people to taste the fruit of later. And that's fantastic. And it's beautiful and it's how it should be. That our disciple practice of saying yes to that means that there will be people who will enjoy the fruit of the hard work we do now because he is with us always to the end of the age. He's a part of the long story. He's with us through to say, I am with you, to say that when you pass on, after you've moved away, these aids that you've put in a ground, I'm promising I will water those for you. I think that is so fantastic, and I think that we have to be willing to say that that's not bad news. That is good news. Sometimes it's really tough because we want to see the evidence of all of the things that we are choosing, that we've counted our costs, and we're saying, Lord, we will follow you, we will be discipled by you, but can I just receive all of the, like, acknowledgement now, all of the blessings now? Can't I taste all of the fruit of all of my hard work now? And when we say no, maybe not, I don't know, some of us think that that is bad news. <laughs> that is good news. It's saying you can be so committed to following Christ even if you don't see the fruit of your hard work. That is a commitment that is absolutely beautiful. And what we see is that this text is often called, it's, it's what the entire sort of framework around even Evangelical comes from evangelical comes from this concept of going out to evangelize to tell people the good news. The Greek is euangelion, and it's the good news. The good news was not just something that Christ brought; it was every reigning king had their good news when a Reigning king would return from a war. They would bring their good news of, of a dominance, victory. So every king had their evangelism. And in Christ, he's saying, I am the true king. My good 
Our news is not just for those who are overcoming, but for the poor, for the needy, for the oppressed, for the hurting, that my good news is for all nations, that my true reigning kingdom is for not just the people who we overcome. He's saying, I've overcome the system of the world that is hatred, bigotry, all of these things. He's overcome that, and he's saying, I'm inviting in, and I'm bringing and restoring all things to myself. So this is not a proclamation. This is being made new. So, and the beautiful part, if we go back to this start, he gave that commission to people who had their, who said, I don't know. I don't know if I buy this whole thing. I'm not sure. Christ has just restored all these things. They took a six a day track, and they hear him, they see him, and they're like, I, I don't know about this. I don't know what's happened. And sometimes traumatized people, even when they are placed right in front of the truth, it's so hard. They, they have to sort some things out inside. And I, and I honestly think we all have a lot of things to sort out. And I want to say that Christ is not threatened by what you have to sort out before he's calling you to go out and be a conduit of good news. Plug yourself into him because he has all of already in power. Get close to him. Learn everything about him because it says teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. So it seems like the more that we are plugged into who he is and how close we are to him, that the source of Life can then flow through us. You are a conduit, not a, a, a bucket. You are not meant to just collect all of this. We are meant to pour it out. So as you go, make disciples of all nations, all people, groups, everybody, baptizing them, calling them into this, I'm laying my life down always and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely he's with you always. He's with you always to the very end of the age. And so let's get really practical though because I think sometimes when we start talking about it, even now I sense this like when I hear a really great teaching inside I, I, I kind of feel like yes, that's good. Hooray. Like I like good job up there. That's how I feel sometimes. And I we have to pause that and we have to say, Lord, I want to follow you more closely. I want to I want to be discipled by your very life. And rather than just agreeing with the things I'm talking about, let's pause and let's say, Lord, where can I follow you more closely? So real practically, what should we do this a week? And I think that, yeah, that first question is really ask if you're being led. Is there any part of your life where you feel open 
to being taught, corrected, challenged? Is there anything? Or have you kind of closed, closed up shop? I'm all done learning. All done. Life is too tiring. How I am right now, I'm set. I can't answer that for you, but I think we have to probably, as a church, as a community, as Christian people, get really honest about whether or not that's where we're at. Because if that's where we're at, you're not being discipled into anything. If you're done learning, you're not being discipled. And I don't think that's a radical, crazy thing to say. I would really encourage you, just ask that honest question because Paul in his letter to the Olympian church, what we read earlier, not that I have attained, but I press on. I press on. I keep going. I run this race. That's how he would talk about it. And he would say that he, he will run it to the very end. If any of you have ever played, played base, Paul, they teach you run through, right? You don't run to the base, you run through the base. And it's because once you see, oh, it's, it's, it's ending here, in your head you start to slow down ahead and they say, ignore that, you have to run through it. Because if you don't run through it, you will slow down early. And I would encourage you, what areas of your life have you concluded are over and you've learned everything that you have to because it's in those exact places that you're probably slowing down a bit. When we're called to run, run the race, run through, run through the base, and so really practically asking that question, Lord, where am I at in my discipleship? Maybe it's as easy as read the Gospel of Mark. Just read the whole thing. Don't pause. Don't ask a bunch of questions. Just look and learn and get familiar with this person of Christ. I think we have to be familiar with, with who he is and how he lived his life. And so my encouragement is that as we would see that, then when we go out, we would, we would say, Lord, maybe you're like me and you grew up where it was, say a prayer. And saying this sinner's prayer and assuming that that is the call to, that what we're meant to do is kind of like agreeing that going to the gym is a good and expecting that being enough to get the benefits of attending the gym, right? I agree going to the gym is great. Shouldn't I be fit, right? I, whenever I'm at my doctor's appointments and they're like, what have you been doing? And I'm like, not what you asked me to do. Um, I'm like, wait, you mean I need to sleep more, drink more water and exercise and I'll be healthier? Shock, shocking. So, um, but if I agree and I go, yes, that is right, that is good and it's true and I don't ever do and I don't ever respond accordingly to what that truth is, I have no right to expect that it will transform who I am.
because that transformation is for the people who act on it. That transformation is for the people that say, this is the good news. This is the right way to live, and they act on it. The transformed heart belongs to those people who are being discipled who say, yes, I need to be baptized all the time to lay my old life down. And so I would encourage you to just ask those questions, Lord, where have I kind of closed up? Where have, I, where have I said no? Where have I said I've learned plenty? Maybe there are areas that you've concluded. And truthfully, those might be areas where you are, uh, where you are right. You might even be absolutely true in, in those things. But hold it open so that Christ could transform any part of you, that he could rearrange the furniture in your heart. Because being his disciple means we want to live exactly how he's calling us to right now as his church. And to take that very seriously because we're claiming that his name and his life rests on us. So let's close in prayer. Lord, you are good, and I'm so grateful for this teaching that you provided your closest friends after your resurrection. Lord, I thank you that you um, allow us to bring our mess, our doubts, our confusion into this calling. Help us to know how you would live, Lord. Teach us to live and love like you. So, Lord, would you open your word to us, open our hearts, those areas that are hard, and would you often our hearts. Would we act most critically in a word and most graciously out a word rather than the entire world that says the opposite? Lord, help us to um, accept your love when we open up to you and we hear your words that says, I love you and I'm calling you in the midst of all of that. I love you and I'm calling you. Lord, we thank you that that is freedom. You are calling us into a free place when so much of the world is a bondage. Help us to be open-handed, Lord. We thank you so much for your a word and for this place, for the ways that your spirit opens things to us. Help us to submit to what you are calling us to. In your name, amen. So now I'm going to call up uh, our co-president of the Elder Board, Catherine, um, and she has some words. Okay, and the other elders, if you guys want to come up, that would be wonderful. And Vanessa... And Mary, Pastor Mary. And don't go anywhere. <laughs> Not yet. Um, so as many of you know, um, Pastor Ryan is going to be on sabbatical for the next month. Is that right? Month. And uh, so we want to um, just have a few words and pray for you and for Vanessa and your family. So I'm going to pass it over to Ryan. 
So sabbatical here at LBCF is a cadence um, that we want to encourage all of our pastors to take advantage of. Uh, it's for balance. It's uh, for them to thrive as healthy leaders of our community. Um, now, the purpose of this is for the pastors to uh, gain uh, some more emotional health, spiritual growth, to Ryan's point, to continue to be discipled. And the key practices that he'll be doing while he's on sabbatical are um, silence and solitude, reading, fasting, uh, exercise, journaling, and routine check-ins. But um, <clears throat> it's important. So he's going to be stepping away just for like a month, and uh, he won't be attending church. He won't be getting our communications at LBCF. Uh, he'll be fasting from social media. Yeah, something that I know is hard to do. Um, but he will be welcoming personal texts from people, calls, emails. Um, obviously, we want to encourage him, and we appreciate him very much. Great. So we have a few gifts for you, symbolic, um, for your time. Um, you can, do you want to open? It did, but it's okay. It's for sweet, sweet treats. So that Ryan will be held by Jesus, coffee, and the quiet. (laughs) All right, let's pray. Um, Father, thank you so much for Pastor Ryan and for Vanessa and for their family. And we are grateful, um, grateful to call them friends, grateful to call him pastor. And we ask for your blessing on this time, that it would be set apart, that it would be restorative and inspiring. Bless them. God, thank you so much for Ryan. He does such amazing work in the community, for LBCF, for each one of us be with him while he takes this time away rejuvenate his soul pour your presence upon him envelop him like a cloak so he knows that there's nothing that he can do to get away from your presence from your grace God as he is looking reading searching for you Give him your wisdom, your discernment, your knowledge, your strength. Give him these things in abundance, Lord, uh, so that when he returns to us, he is so much greater and filled with your presence and your spirit than he ever has been before, God. Amen. Amen.